You're listening to the Manchester Vineyard Podcast. We'd love for you to join us. To discover more about who we are, where we meet, and how you can connect with us, head to manchestervineyard.org or follow the link in the podcast description. Before we jump in this morning, can I just say something uh, that if you're joining us for the first time, I I really don't want you to take out of context. Please hear this as part of a a process that is uh, for the wider lens of uh, what it looks like for us to be a community together and a growing community who uh, grow in our love for Jesus and express that through our compassionate love for the city that we're in because people and place are really important. But with us not having the regular diet of being a church in the in the gathered environments, I just wanted to mention that it is therefore not as easy for people to understand how best to come and be an active part of this community. But we'd always express um, membership as being through involvement, and therefore there's a few key components to what that might look like. Firstly, can I say, come and be part of us. Come and join us on a Sunday connection point currently. Uh, that looks like being online, but it's also been part of things like 422 through serving us as we prepare that building to serve the city. But also we're trying to give multiple options and access points for people uh, throughout July and August on Sunday afternoons to interact together and to interact with others. So in a nutshell, come and be part of it. The next one would be join a small group. Honestly, they are the lifeblood of who we are as a church. We are a relationally connected and a relationally driven people. A number of them are currently able to meet in person. But regardless of that, I just want to say I know it's a hard time. I know it's a hard time to do small group, but I also uh, know whilst that isn't what we choose, we do choose each other. And we do need to choose to find regular points of connection to both give and receive. It's not just what we get is crucial that we have an opportunity to give to others. It's how we grow and it's how others are grown in that process of discipleship. Then the third one would be uh, join a team. Uh, admittedly it's not as it always will be but that doesn't stop us we want you to know that you're needed and that you have a place to contribute that's how family works it's what it's like to be part of a body that functions and thrives when we all come to the table and we all offer our part and then the final one would would really be give uh, financially to this church can I say just a few things about that as well I mean firstly I just want to say thank you so much to those of you that give so faithfully and sacrificially to this church it allows us to be the church to create environments for people to explore Jesus and for them to grow in their discipleship but also for us to serve the city on top of all that we do we give away 20% at least of everything that comes in to things that don't directly benefit us ultimately to love and serve the city and those wider afield and um I would say though this is a really complex time we are in challenging times and yet we're still seeking to be unrelenting in our serving of the church and the city and if you've yet to join us in giving can I cons- uh, can I encourage you to consider doing so and being part of it if you haven't thought about it for a while can I ask you to consider reviewing it 
You know, it was during the early days of the pandemic that Steph and I not only reviewed our personal giving, but we also reviewed what we give as a church. We increased what we give away as a church from 15% to 20% because we're in uncertain testing times and we want to step into that with greater faith and greater trust. You know, in the Old Testament law, 15% of a person's income was given as a tithe. Now, under grace, we believe that we're free from the law. However, I'd, I'd often see it and say it, that we, we encourage people to use 10% as a guideline, as a starting point to give to the local church with other offerings and gifts going beyond that. Because how much greater is grace than law? And so um, with any involvement, in, in church and life and whatever it is, is of course completely up to the individual. Steph and I don't know what people give. We have no intention of ever knowing what people give, but we'd always encourage people to see it through the lens and the view of 2 Corinthians 9. It says this, you must each decide in your heart how much to give and don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure. For God lives a love, sorry, God loves a person who gives cheerfully. We want to be cheerful givers. We want to cheerfully release the church to be the church and for the church to serve the city. And if you haven't yet, we'd love to welcome you and invite you to be part of that. You can find all the details for that on the app or on the website and also a link for a gift aid form, which if you haven't yet filled in, would significantly increase what you give, about 25% increase, at no extra cost to you. I hope you don't mind I mention all of that. I hope it's helpful. But it's such an interesting tension that we face and often find in the vineyard. On the one hand, we're so relaxed and so laid back and we don't like people to feel coerced or pressurised into involvement or being part of us. And it's a light touch. It's like, hey, come and explore. Come and see if this is the family and the community you want to be part of. And yet, on the other hand, doing it that way can often lead to confusion and people not knowing what it would be for them to take a step further in or what even might be helpful for them on that journey. And some of that really is about discipleship and it's about the formation of your individual journey. But I'd always encourage you to take a step further in and for you to constantly consider what is it to fully commit to Christ, his church, and his cause in ever-increasing measure. There is a, um, a step of formation and of obedience and therefore blessing and freedom that can be found in all that I just mentioned, I believe. But today I want to continue the series that we started uh, a few weeks back called Led to the Lost. We're a few weeks into that now, so if you've missed any, I'd always encourage you to catch up, but we've been reflecting on the book of John and considering the implications as we seek to be drawn into a relationship with the Father in greater measure and then to show and to share that with others around us as we are people that are called to be led 
to the lost. And today we're going to look at a passage in uh, John chapter 2. And I just want us to spend some time reflecting on the power of Jesus. What we believe matters because it alters and it affects our life and our life choices, doesn't it? Wouldn't you say that? You know, if we think that the economy is struggling, we start to consider the impact of our retirement plan. And if we think that, our, say, our child's education is important, we might hold off buying large things that we might otherwise have bought to save money to invest in their future. And if we believe that spending time with our children is important, we might resist or um, not take a job that would constantly cause us to travel or to be away from them. Now, what is it that is your equivalent? Because I'm sure you could drop that into that uh, analogy or description now, because what you believe is important will cause you to consider what your priorities are. And the Apostle John who wrote this book, he understands how important belief and faith and trust in Jesus is. And so as we looked at last week, he lays out he laid out the detail of four men who made bold and convincing endorsements of Jesus. And so um, that I think that's helpful and it's challenging. But now as we look at chapter two, this is where it really starts to warm up because John highlights Jesus's own example and testimony that he is the Christ, that he is the Messiah. And Jesus and his disciples have been invited to a wedding and they arrive at the wedding and the hosts have run out of wine. Now, that might sound like a problem to many of you, but in those times, in that day, it was a significant problem. It was kind of a really big deal because the groom and one of his main responsibilities was to provide fitting hospitality to his guests. And so running out of wine wasn't just, oh, we've run out of wine. It was insulting in those times. And it wasn't like a, you know, like it might be now where you can just make a quick dash to majestic wine or whatever it is to, to, to top up. And Mary, Jesus's mother is there and she goes over to Jesus and she says this, John 2 verse 3, she says, the wine supply ran out during the festivities. So Jesus's mother told him they have no more wine. Now, it's kind of like stating the obvious, but Mary isn't just shaming the hosts and gossiping about it. She's actually expecting Jesus to do something about it. And if we don't fully catch it, Jesus's reply in verse four could be seen as really quite brutal. He says, dear woman, that is not our problem. <laughs> now, even the way you read that could make it sound more brutal than I think it actually was. Dear woman, that is not our problem. You know, that was, it's kind of classic. Hey, mum, give it a rest. Like, <laughs> is that my problem? I'm hanging out with my mates. You're hassling me to do jobs. Just listen, like, behave, calm down, stop it. Not my problem. Now, that's not actually you'll be glad to know what is going on. Calling her woman sounds quite disrespectful, but in that culture, that title wasn't mean or rude. In fact, it's actually the same way that Jesus addresses Mary when he's dying on the cross. If you whiz forward a bit in John, in John 19, verse 26, it says this, when Jesus saw his mother standing there besides the disciple he loved, he said to her, dear woman, here is your son. And he said to his to this disciple, here is your mother. And from then on, 
this disciple took her into his home. Jesus in that passage is clearly deeply and caring and showing great concern for his mother and her well-being as he calls her woman. As he's there dying on the cross, that's what he says. What's interesting is really that Jesus could refer to her in another manner, but he doesn't. And why doesn't he? You know, Mary has to learn to approach Jesus like anyone else, as a sinner in need of a saviour. Their relationship is fundamentally changed now that Jesus is embarking on his public ministry. Can I ask you, how do you approach Jesus? You know, the pandemic has shifted and changed so much for so many. So many are weary. The life rhythms and the life priorities that have shifted, anxieties have risen and disconnect and lack of accountability and all sorts has risen while things like vulnerability and connection have reduced. Well, what is it all doing? Sometimes we've got to ask ourselves, well, how is that affecting your relationship with Jesus and how you approach him? Jesus teaches Mary how to approach him. You could translate Jesus' question to Mary, that is not our problem. You know, that's got nothing to do with me kind of thing. But you could translate that as Jesus didn't come to earth to do what mankind wanted him to do. Throughout the Gospel of John, Jesus demonstrates a single-minded focus to accomplish the Father's will. You see it so many times in the book of John. We read it, John 4, 34 would be one such classic example. Then Jesus explained, My nourishment comes from doing the will of the Father who sent me and from finishing his work. Bang! That's what he's about. That's what he's doing. You know, he says it time and time and time again. Similar thing in a similar way. He didn't come to fulfill the desires of mankind, even the wishes and wants of his own mother, but that of God and God alone. So Jesus says to her, my time has not yet come. Jesus again says a similar thing multiple, multiple times. He says things like, my my time has not yet come. The hour is the time of his suffering and death. The pinnacle of human history when the perfect son of God becomes sin so that we might become righteousness. You know, if you combine the statement about the hour with Jesus's understanding of the will and the purpose that God had for his life, you start to realise quite early on in the book of John that Jesus came for a greater purpose, greater purpose than even his mother or disciples could realise at the time. And despite the pushback Jesus gives Mary in that moment, Mary is confident that Jesus could and would do something. She shows and demonstrates a willingness and a faith that is such a powerful inspiration for us. She's confident whatever Jesus does or doesn't do will be best. Verse 5, it says, but his mother told the servants, do whatever he tells you. Imagine if we lived by that mantra, do whatever he tells you. Honestly, I want to say do whatever he tells you. She has no idea what he's going to do. She has no idea if he'll even do anything. But her faith and her trust is in him and his ability to change and bring transformation. We can so often read the passage with the hindsight of what is about to happen. But she doesn't know that. She doesn't have that hindsight. 
She can't read it in the book and live it as though it's already happened. She just says, my faith in trust is in you, Jesus, regardless. Would it be so for us? Would it be that we trust him and we believe in him regardless? Not just because of what he does or he doesn't do, but because of who he is. He has the servants fill six jars to the brim, stone water jars that would hold 20 to 30 gallons. Water that when poured out then becomes the finest of wines. Let's just read it to familiarise ourselves. Many of you will know this passage, but John chapter 2 verse 6 says this. Standing nearby were six six stone water jars used for Jewish ceremonial washing. Each could hold 20 to 30 gallons and Jesus told the servants, fill the jars with water. When the jars had been filled, he said, now dip some out and take it to the master of ceremonies. So that the servants followed his instructions. When the master of ceremonies tasted the water that was now wine, knowing where it had come from, though of course the servants knew, he called the bridegroom over. A host always serves the best wine first. He said, then when everyone has had a lot to drink, he brings out the less expensive wine. But you have kept the best till last. You know, why is the detail included that the jars were normally used for ceremonial cleansing? I I love this bit because what it shows is that the rituals associated with the old covenant are giving way to something far greater. That the shadow found in the law is being replaced by the substance found in Jesus. That now basically the fact that Jesus is here, everything has and is and will change. The water of the ceremony is replaced by something far, far greater. External purification has given way to internal cleansing. Well, what's, So what's going on? Well, a couple of things. You know, if we went to each other's houses and took a bottle of water and asked each other to transform it into a different type of drink and to do it instantaneously and to do it without touching the bottle or the water, could you do it? Of course you couldn't. There is something different, understatement of the decade, about Jesus. So what do we what do we do with this story? I guess we do two things. One is we say, hey, that's a nice story. <laughs> you know, but it's not it's not true. The Bible can't be trusted, it's just a fairy tale, all that believe in it are a bit foolish. Or second choice, by the way, if you hadn't covered it's my choice, I hope. It's fairly obvious that it's my choice, that we realise the uniqueness of Jesus we realize that he did something that he does something that he will do something miraculous that he's the creator that he transforms you know remember the shame that the groom would have been facing for running out of wine he removes shame he changes and shapes the nature of who we are into who he's created us to be when we trust him and when we place our faith in him and when we say do whatever you want with me You know, as Mary said, do whatever he says. That's the people we want to be. Then what happens? Well, verse 11, the miraculous sign at Cana in Galilee was the first time Jesus revealed his glory and his disciples believed in him. John calls it a sign. He says this sign at Cana in Galilee, this miraculous sign. 
Signs point beyond themselves to something. The sign points beyond itself to a greater reality. It points us towards Jesus. We've got to stop looking everywhere and anywhere else at the car, the house, the career path, the relationship, the financial or relational security. When's the pandemic going to end? You know, none of that is going to sustain or satisfy. It is Jesus and Jesus alone. Any sign we have should be pointing us to having our focus and the lens of our lives placed upon Jesus and his power points us to his personhood. The glory of Jesus was made visible in this act and it brings about transformation. Verse 11, this miraculous sign at Cana in Galilee was the first time Jesus revealed his glory and his disciples believed in him. The disciples saw divine power on display and they did what they believed. The point wasn't so that Jesus could meet their needs. The point is that Jesus is unique and is the son of God and he's here to do a work of God. And we need to be people to that believe in him. The power of Jesus to transform water into wine is amazing. But the power to transform a rebellious sinner into a saint, way more so. We begin to see a transformation take place in the lives of the disciples as they trust him and their faith in him grows. The words and the works of Jesus convince them even further. And as they trust him, they're transformed from fishermen to bold witnesses of his unmatched and unrivaled power. Do you see what's going on here? It's really it's really kind of this. Firstly, we trust him and we do whatever he says. Secondly, that he releases his reign and his rule and his powers in that. And then thirdly, our lives are transformed and are re we're released and we're sent to work to bring the same transformation to bear for others. We're literally sent and led to the lost. It's the power of Jesus and the power that is found in the presence of Jesus. Do you see the need for us to step into that place of seeking environments whereby we do what he says? Some would say, I've never seen a miracle. You know, I often think, firstly, we need to step out because that's what Jesus told us to do, not necessarily because it's something we'll see. Mary was obedient and stepped out because of who Jesus was. She didn't know she was going to see a miracle. She put her faith and trust in him regardless and said, I'm in, I'm completely in, I'm all in, whatever this looks like. That's the people we're called to be. Secondly, I want to be like Mary. You know, full of faith and trust, dialing down any scepticism or fear. Let's not let the cultural pressure cooker cause us to step back from what Jesus has us because we can't see it or haven't seen it. We're going to step into that place of dialing down scepticism and fear. And then thirdly, I need to constantly put myself in the environment where I need miracles. If I don't need them, I'm not going to see them. And if I could do it in my own strength, I'm not going to need them. But I also want to see them. So I need to be around them. So I need to be around places and spaces of faith because that's what leads to them. So I want to be praying for people to be healed. I want to be showing and sharing my faith because that's where I need and I'm going to see the miraculous. I want to be taking risks. I want to be believing beyond what could be in the natural for what might be released in the supernatural. Aware that Jesus did the miracle in the hands of the disciples and he wants to use me and he wants to use you. 
Do you see that? That's what it says in verse 7. If you read this passage, I'd encourage you, read John 2 in your own time. But it says this, verse 7, Jesus told the servants, fill the jars with water. When the jars had been filled, he said, now dip some out and take it to the master of ceremonies. So the servants followed his instructions. He did a miracle in and through the disciples. He longs to release his power upon you to fulfill his will and accomplish his plans. As we learn and grow and develop in our beliefs and trust in Jesus, we have to keep doing it even in challenging times. That for them would have been a challenging moment. Really? Ceremonial dirty water jars used for washing is going to be turned into wine that's where we see it that would have been a hard moment and a hard time for them satan satan knows the powerlessness of a doubting believer and he tries to plant doubt and uncertainty into our minds and into our hearts you know i've shared with you before sophie and i uh, quite recently have been reading pilgrim's progress you know, John Bunyan, the English pastor in the 1600s, he describes the classic struggle of the Christian life. It's a great book. He said this in the book. Let me just read a, a section to you. He said, Christian and his travelling companion, Hopeful, are captured by the giant despair. They are taken into the doubting castle where they're thrown into a dungeon cell. Christian and his companion are beaten mercilessly by giant despair one morning they're taken out of the cell and shown the bones of the other pink pilgrims out in the castle yard who never escaped doubting castle christian and hopeful refuse to give up however and one night christian remembers a way to escape he's able to unlock the cell door and the outer gate as well and they run for their lives these pilgrims will escape the doubting castle and giant despair not by some force or innate determination but by a key called promise you know what we need to conquer doubt is not a show of force or strength but a reminder of what we believe and more importantly in whom we believe Jesus transforms water into wine, but he transforms sinners into saints. He can transform your struggles, your dreams, your failures, your hopes, your brokenness. He can transform you inside out and he can give you power to show it and to share it with others. And all he really asks for is a willingness to allow him to do whatever he says. As we open our hearts and the eyes of our hearts and we open our hands for him to use us and to do his work. And we're, we're tasked with a focus on the work of God. You know, the words and the works of Jesus convince the disciples even further and they trust him and they're transformed from fishermen to bold witnesses of his unmatched and unrivaled power. His power comes on us for a purpose and his power comes on us to send us and equip us to reach the lost. And if we want to see more of his power at work in us and through us, we've got to keep reaching out to the lost because that's the work he's trying to fulfill in us and through us. That's how and where and often why his power will come on us. It's to transform us and then to transform the lives around us as we're led to the lost. He's longing to embed and pour out that power upon us. We want to be like Mary, 
have no doubt remove the skepticism and say whatever you want to do however you want to do it i'm in as we go he shows do you believe that one let's just spend some time praying into that and praying over that i just want to create some space where we say spirit of the living god come and fall afresh upon us this morning you might want to close your eyes you might want to open your heart and we just want to say lord come and minister to us and Father, we do exactly that. Come and minister to us. In the power of the name of Jesus, through the, outpowering, through the outpouring of your Holy Spirit right now, Lord. Come and speak. You know, I just believe some of you will have, will have normalised and start to dial down the power of Jesus. And I want to say, please don't do that. Go again. Honestly, if he's in the room, anything could happen. I believe he's in the room right now, so anything could happen. So let's be in a place of faith and belief right now. We're dialing down scepticism and doubt, but we're dialing up faith and belief. Lord Jesus, you are in the room right now. So place the power of Jesus upon our life. Some of you need miracles. You're crying out for miracles. The greatest miracle you're ever going to see is the miracle of salvation. For some of you right now, I believe you could turn to Jesus. Believe in your heart. Confess with your lips that Jesus Christ is Lord. Allow him in. Turn. Repent from the way you did live. And walk now in the way that he has called you to live. You might want to do that right now. Say a real simple short prayer. And tell someone you've done it. Turn your life over to Jesus. Many of you are crying out. For other miracles around houses, around health, around jobs, around decisions. I believe Jesus is in the room, therefore his power is in the room. Spirit of the living God, come and bring about transformation. Sometimes that takes time, sometimes it's over a period. He works to a calendar, not a stopwatch, but sometimes it's instantaneous, just like that. The water was turned into wine, I believe it. And I'm longing for it and I'm crying out for it for you right now this morning. Just believe on some of you as well. There's a there's a release, there's a freedom, you've been bound and held back, and there's a, a moment of a new authority coming on you. For some of what we're talking about, to get into a closer place of intimacy, to leave behind some of the cloak of despair that you've carried, but also to step into a heart and a longing to see the lost saved. Lord, I pray right now you would break our hearts for the lost, for our areas, for our towns, for the city, for our neighbourhood, for our neighbours, for our work colleagues, bring people and places to mind names that we would cry out to you for that we would create points of connection with them to you in this moment this season where so much has been robbed and taken that now as we start to find ways to re-engage socially and relationally that we would draw people towards you that we would elevate that need above and beyond ourselves. Lord, that there would be a grace on us as a church. For it. I pray for a grace on this. Lord, even people we don't even know, people we've not even interacted with, draw them to you. I pray even this morning. I pray some would even hear this now and just open their hearts and lives to the transformation, the healing, the miracle worker of Jesus. Lord, let it be so. 
some of you right now, you're engaging with Jesus. I want to stop that in any way. Remain in his presence. There's many things he's going to want to do. Way more than things I've said. Just let the spirit of God speak life and hope and truth over you this morning. Lord, unveil and reveal your glory among us, we pray. Just going to leave you with some gentle music as you continue to allow the Lord to minister to you. I'd encourage you to reach out to, to others in this moment. Let us stand and pray alongside you. Also encourage you to step into some of what's coming up over this next month. Environments where we can be together, relate together and minister to each other in the name and the power of Jesus. But I'll leave some gentle music playing as you um, stay in this time and space with the Lord this morning. But the Lord bless you. Thank you for joining us. We hope you have a good week. Thanks for listening. To find out more, head to manchestervineyard.org or follow the link in the podcast description. <laughs>